ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 27 of Aussie Talks. Got an exciting episode for you here today. We're going to be reviewing one of the best Ashes series of all time, 2-2 result, looking at the fourth and the fifth test. And we're also going to be diving into the last three rounds of the AFL season, where I think teams will finish up. And just so you know, the reason why the audio is quite a bit different is that I'm just switching over to a new laptop. So still trying to figure out the new system settings on that. So that why that is why the voice might be a bit more staticky, but it shouldn't ruin the enjoyment. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. About a hundred meter gap straight down the ground. In Well, there's good news and bad news for cricket lovers in Australia. Well, the good news is that your sleep schedules are now hopefully back on track after being out of whack uh, for about five weeks. So I, I hope all the uh, all the people that stayed up and watched the World Test Championship and watched the Ashes over the last five to six weeks uh, is getting a bit more sleep, and I, I think it's very much deserved. Bad news is that arguably the best test test match series uh, Australia has been part of in a very, very long time has come to an end. You know, they're saying it's the best Ashes series since 2005. Um, well, it's the best Ashes series I've seen in terms of just uh, cricket ability, in terms of edgier seat stuff, in terms of uh, all results being in play um, when it came down to the last, the last session of the last day, you know, you think about it, the first test came down to the last 10 overs. The second test came down to the last, you know, the last session. The third test came down to the last session. You know, the fourth test obviously interrupted by rain. And then even the fifth test, you know, Australia, you know, just teased us and teased us, you know, uh, with that run chase and unfortunately couldn't get it done in the end. But again, it went to that last session where all results were in play. And, and I think that's why we watch sport to for the enjoyment factor, regardless of the win and the loss. It, it, as a cricket fan, it was an unbelievable series and one that will be remembered for a long time. But at the end of the day, all this moral victory rubbish from England, Australia retained the Ashes. That means that we would have held the Ashes for one, two, three, four consecutive series. And by the time the next one rolls around, there's no way England can beat us in Australia. I'm going to make the call now two years ahead of time that we're going to retain it for five consecutive Ashes tours or Ashes series, rather. But it was a great series. First test, Pat Cummins, hero. It's one of the best wins in Australian test history. Second test, Ben Stokes did everything he could, but it was too much to chase down, and Australia up 2-0. Third test, again, Australia winning position, bungled it up. England did well. They deserved to win. Now the fourth test. You haven't heard my thoughts on the fourth and fifth test. The fourth test, well, how good's rain? How good is rain? Honestly, if it wasn't for that, Australia would be absolutely kicked. I just, we gave up 550 plus bowling short rubbish and not having a spinner. That was a good decision. Really good decision. Don't pick a spinner. And then Travis Head's bowling 18 overs into the first innings. Good call, that one. Um, but, look, England batted incredibly well. But at the end of the day, we we just lacked intent. We looked tired. Uh, the fourth test was not a pretty watch. That's for sure. It was not a pretty watch for many Australian fans. Uh, terrible tactics, which I, which I called in the last, last episode. I said if we keep bowling short rubbish, 
um, with all our men on the fence. There's no reason why England can't pull this series back, and, and they deserve to. But at the end of the day, rain was always going to be a possibility in England. All these people saying that, you know, rain wouldn't affect it, there'll be a result every time because of baseball, has never seen a series in England. It always rains in England. Always. And the fact that the English media and the English players are trying to change the rules and have very short memories, mind you, 2021 Sydney Test Match, nine down England, you know, they batted pretty much, they batted the day out, and Steve Smith was bowling leg spin because it was dark, you know, and they survived. They survived. Joe Root comes out in this Ashes series on the fourth test match and says, why don't we play till 10 o'clock? It doesn't get dark till then. You know, you know, we can get more overs at them. You know, let's give the fans what they want. Hang on a minute. You would have, hang on, you wouldn't have wanted that rule in the 2021 Ashes series in Sydney where we won 4.9 nil for the whole series. You wouldn't want that in 2013 when you guys retained the Ashes uh, because of rain, because we were pulling. We had your three down for bugger all and needed seven wickets in a day's play. You know, here's Morgan especially saying it's the greatest injustice. There's a tweet of him from 10 years ago saying how good's rain when England was stuffed in 2013. You can't wish wash your way around this. You've got to stick to it. You know, at the end of the day, you always knew rain was going to be a possibility. And the fact is that it did play its part. And yes, you were the better, you were so much more the better team. But the fact that the Aussies retained the urn through playing rubbish in that fourth test and it raining. To be honest, I don't think it could have got much better just from the sitting back and laughing aspect because to see the way that the English players and the English media has carried on from this rain, saying it's a moral victory, they thought they won, you know, all this stuff. Where's your ashes, boys? It's back in Australia, so shut up. Anyway, the fifth test, well, it was a fairy tale ending. You know, I'm a sucker for storylines when I watch sport. And, and regardless of what you think of Stuart Broad, um, what he has done for the game of cricket, especially for England, uh, he's one of their best fast bowlers. And, you know, if you compare him with Jimmy Anderson, I think it's a really good discussion. In England conditions, you know, the records are very similar. Away from home, Stuart Broad is clear. You know, Stuart Broad is, is up there with some of the best bowlers I've seen. You know, you can make an argument he might be the best um, to left-handers coming around the wicket. Um, I know that's a very specific thing, but... Look, he's been the villain of Australian cricket. He's been the villain of, of a lot of uh, international teams over the years. But for him to get those last two wickets when Australia were out of it, you know, I was sitting back, It was, I think it was 3 a.m., and I'm like, you know what, I wouldn't mind Stuart Broad to get the last two wickets here. I don't know whether that's un-Australian. I'll cop some flack for that. But I don't know. I think it's for him to go out like he did and for him to, you know, play for as long as he did at such a high level and to go out on top, you know, there's a level of respect behind that. So so fair play, Stuart Broad, and uh, he's also given every Australian club cricketer a new thing to do when nothing's happening, uh, just flip the bales around. The fact he did it the first time, I've never seen that before, um, and they got a wicket next ball, which was quite funny, and then the fact that he did it um, a second time is just even funnier, like... You can't actually script that stuff. To nick, nick off Todd Murphy after you've gone past the edge about 15 times and to switch the bales around, you get one the next ball, that's just that's the cricketing gods right there. Um, but, look, it was, it was a great test match, the fifth one. And, look, there's obviously controversy around, and I'll get to that in a minute um, in terms of the ball and everything like that. But, look, Australia did incredibly well to fight back. Um, you know, I thought England were in control during that third innings um, to, to get those runs on the board and all that sort of stuff. 
And to be none for 136 after a session and a bit on day four was a great position. And well, I think rain probably equaled it out because if rain, if it didn't rain on that fourth day, I honestly reckon Karaj and Warner, Warner looked the best I've seen in bat in England on that day. And I know the ball might have had something to do with it, but they both looked on. You know, the pitch wasn't doing anything. England looked flat. I saw no reason why we couldn't have been, you know, one for 220. You know, even if we just got another hour and a bit in. So, look, rain played its part on day four and probably cost Australia the test win. Um, but we can't be complaining because, you know, rain's a part of cricket. Unlike the English, we're not coming out and saying rain's cost us a test match like they did in the fourth test. We accept it, you know, unlike England, who just think it's about the moral ashes uh, and participation trophies. Anyway, fifth test, Ben Stokes, the Herschel Gibbs 2.0 moment. I was watching it, and as soon as he caught it, he's going to throw it up and it's hit his leg, and I'm like, he's dropped that. He's reviewed it. And then he's complained about losing the review. Where's the spirit of cricket in that? You know, imagine if the shoe was on the other foot. Imagine if Pat Cummins took a catch at leg slip, went to throw it up, it hit his leg. You know, he knows he's dropped it. Ben Stokes even yelled catch when he dropped it and hit his leg. And to, um, I think it was Harry Brook at short leg, he yelled catch for him to catch it. He knew that he didn't catch it, yet he reviewed it. Imagine if Pat Cummins did that. You know, and then argued with the umpire. You know, where's the spirit of cricket in that? There's a double standard with that sort of stuff. But, you know, that's 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 the palms. One more thing I'll, I'll say before I get onto the ball is that Todd Murphy, far out. We've got something in this kid. You know, he never quits. With the bat, what he did in both innings, he showed more heart than a fair bit of the Australian middle order in that second innings, to be fair. And, and look, England bowled well. They bowled beautifully, to be honest. It was a masterclass in bowling. But Todd Murphy, he stuck up and fought, whether it be the ball, whether it be the bat, whether it's his Victorian blood in him. But we found something in Todd Murphy once Nathan Lyon uh, retires. Uh, Todd Murphy is next man up. He, he's got some heart and he's got a bit of ticker about him, um, which is good to see. It's what you want to be seeing in young players going into the Australian cricket team. But 2-2, fair result. Cummins' captaincy in the first two tests were were pretty good. But the rest hadn't got a clue whether that was tiredness, whether that was uh, thinking we'd won it already, whether that was being too scared of uh, basball. Who knows? But, and, and I know that the English are coming out and saying that, oh, it had no impact on it. But at the end of the day, it's out of their hands and all this sort of stuff. And it is. The England players do not choose the ball when there's a ball replacement. So I'm not cracking it here in England. I'm just saying they had an unbelievable advantage when it came to that ball, ball change. Ball hit the back of Usman Kawaja's helmet on day four with about two overs left until it started raining. They switched the ball, and there's been an, they're going to conduct an investigation. If these allegations of the ball being five years younger of a model is true, then both umpires should be stood down and not played any level of cricket uh, and not umpired at any level of cricket for 12 months, 18 months. I don't know. Because the umpires have actually fundamentally changed the test match. It's not the weather. It's not the players. It's the umpires. And it's not by a, you know, a team not having a DRS review and, and, and being an out or a not out. They've made a decision under no pressure whatsoever. They have made a decision that if this investigation comes out, that the ball was five years younger of a model. If that comes out, it is 
unbelievable. The match referee, the umpires, the... I don't know who is in charge of that. They should be banned or suspended for a certain amount of time because this can't be happening. The ball seemed and swung nearly two times more than the other one. That ball, when it came in, was meant to be 31 overs old. 60 overs later in the 90th over, Stuart Broad was swinging it off corners. And don't get me wrong, they bowled beautifully, but that ball was ridiculous. Some of the things it was doing, I've never seen from a ball that is supposed to be 90 overs old. There's a reason why England didn't take the new ball when it got to 80 overs, because this ball had batteries in it, I reckon. And there was just someone, probably Piers Morgan, up with the remote control, getting it to go each way. Because I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, it's the ICC, so it'd probably be a rubbish investigation. But if it comes out that this team, sorry, that this group of umpires have chosen a ball that first of all looked like a new ball and was five years younger of a model, I have no idea what's going to happen because it's a disgrace. But at the end of the day, 2-2, fair result. Rain impacted the fourth test. An umpire decision impacted the fifth test. Australia keep the ashes, get stuff, Poms, but it's a great series. So fair play as well, but get stuff. Threading his way, Cunningham quick release. Couldn't get it to work. Akers follows up again. Ed Curso. Curno sets him up. Akers from 55 metres out. An open goal screen. Needs a good bounce. Can't forget a win. So we're getting down to the business end of the AFL season. And I don't remember a season in recent memory where there's that many teams that can still make the eight three rounds out from finals. And I'm just going to give you my thoughts on what I think the top eight will uh, end up like and what those teams' chances are uh, going into September. So I've got Collingwood finishing on top. No surprises there. The Dacos injury is absolutely huge, um, not just on the Brownlow, but on Collingwood's finals chances. You know, he's the best second-year player I've ever seen, and he's definitely in the top five players in the AFL. Um, yes, people say he doesn't get hard ball gets, and yes, he might, you know, be a bit selfish here and there with disposals, but he, he's an unbelievable player. And to be honest, if he is out until prelim final week, it does it does make it a bit more challenging for Collingwood. I still think Collingwood are clear favourites for the grand final. I've had a rough couple of weeks, but, you know, I think having this rough couple of weeks is probably the best thing that could have happened to Collingwood. So I've got them finishing on top. Melbourne second. Uh, I think they're the only team that can really challenge Collingwood if it got to a prelim or it got to a grand final. Oh, I think they're the only team that could really go after them. Uh, Port Adelaide have had an absolutely terrible month, four losses in a row. Uh, I've got them finishing third. Look, at the end of the day, Ken Hinckley doesn't win finals, and that's why I don't think he'll get himself another contract. Um, Port Adelaide could easy, easily go out in straight sets. Um, you know, it's like the Mike D'Antoni of the uh, of the AFL for the NBA fans out there. Great regular season record, um, but never gets it done in finals. And that's why I think that they, I might even predict that they go out in straight sets. But it depends who they play in the second week of finals. Uh, I've got Brisbane in fourth. The only chance Brisbane have of making a grand final is they somehow fluke a win against Collingwood in the first week. And they play a prelim up the Gabba because it's shown that they can't win in the MCG when it matters most. They've won one out of the last 13 there. You know, credit to them. They won a prelim final, sorry, a semi-final there last year against uh, Melbourne. But earlier this year, they're up four goals with seven minutes left and still lost. So I think it's just a mental barrier for them. Fifth, I've got Carlton. As much as I hate to say it and as much as uh, being a Saints fan, that hurts because the loss yesterday... Uh, is a tough one to take because 22 points up at half time, and we 
like we were on top. We were really on top. I felt really good. Um, I thought Carlton were just half a step behind us. I thought, you know, I didn't see what they came out of halftime. Like, I didn't see that happening. I thought that they would come back, but I didn't think they'd kill us like that. You know, plus 22 in clearances. They had more inside 50s. Clearances is the main thing, though. They, they absolutely killed us out of the middle and in the stoppages. And I think it's the, the big difference that's happened to Carlton in the last seven weeks is that they've had players go with the superstars. You look yesterday, look, Cripps, 24 touches, nine clearances. He played well, but Kerner, he kicked one goal, and that was... I don't want to say in, in dead rubber time, but it, it, look, it was a sealer, but it pushed you out to three goals with about four minutes left. Wilkie played brilliantly on him yesterday, and you know he might have to check his pocket you know, when he went into the changing rooms at the end of the game because I think Kerno was in it. But look, he only kicked one goal, and they still had those people to go with them. And I think that's been the biggest difference for Carlton over the last seven weeks is that the likes of Newman, Fisher, Akers, um, Hewitt, Paddy Dow, Hollands, you know, Cunningham, Cottrell, these guys just seem to be everywhere. You know, Motlock kicked a couple of goals. You know, it, you know, someone like Saad, he did nothing yesterday. You know, and, and Carlton still dominated with disposals, with clearances. And, and that's why I think that I've got them winning their la- two of their last three. They've got Melbourne next week. I don't see them beating Melbourne, despite the fact that uh, what I heard on the train yesterday, coming home from the footy, this typical Carlton fan goes, hang on a minute, Collingwood are injured. They're cooked. Port Adelaide are cooked. Melbourne, we can beat next week. Hang on. Brisbane are cooked. Hang on. We can win the flag here. I'm not kidding, by the way. That's actually what he said. Probably the same bloke that was saying like 10 weeks ago that Voss should be sacked and the board should be sacked. But anyway, fair play, Carlton. You deserve to win yesterday and you win two out of your last three and the home final uh, and make finals for the first time in 10 years. Bulldogs, I've got at six. They've got enough top-end talent to make a run. I know a lot of people say they're pretenders. Uh, I disagree with that. I think the likes of Bontempelli, McRae, um, you know, Hugh Hagen's had a really good month up forward. Um, I think their backs are pretty solid as well. I think that they haven't got enough to win a premiership, but they've got enough, I think, to at least make a prelim, if, if depending on the draw that they got. Um, and I've got them finishing sixth. Geelong at seventh. So Bulldogs and Geelong possibly could play each other two weeks in a row. Uh, and whoever wins that game potentially uh, gets themselves uh, the home final against the other team. And whether the AFL would play it down at Simmons Stadium, I don't think so. Um, but we'd have to see. So Geelong, look, the win against Port Adelaide was huge. I know they're injured to shit. Hawkins injured is huge. Um, and a couple of other guys. But their win against Port Adelaide probably gives them finals now because I don't think they've got that tough of a run. They've got us in two weeks' time um, being the Saints. And, look, we've got a terrible record against Geelong over the last 20 years, to be honest. So, look, if St Kilda win that game, they make finals. If Geelong win that game, they make finals. Um, so that that's sort of how that one pans out. They've got Bulldogs in the last round of the season, Geelong. And um, they've got Collingwood this week. So I'll take that bat, actually. They've got a tough run. But if they win two out of their last... Three, they make finals, and I think they will win two out of the last three. So it's not an easy run for, for Geelong. I'll take that statement back. Collingwood this week, St Kilda the week after, Bulldogs a week after, so three top eight teams as it stands. But I think Geelong, they've been there before. I think that's why they'll get over the line. And believe it or not, I've actually got Adelaide finishing in eighth position, which I was a bit surprised when I was doing my ladder predictor um, 
Look, playing West Coast in the last round of the season is huge for them. They've got Brisbane at the Gabba this week. I've got them losing that. And then they play, who do they play? Sydney at Adelaide Oval. So all they've got to do is win two out of their last three, and one of them's against West Coast. So I've got them making finals. I've got St Kilda in ninth, percentage outside the eight. GWS in 10th, percentage outside the eight, and then Sydney half a game back, percentage outside the eight, uh, and Essendon a game and percentage outside the eight in 12th. So that's how I think it'll end up. Um, I think the Saints uh, blew it yesterday. If we won yesterday, I think we'll make finals. We've got Richmond this week. We need to beat Richmond. Uh, we should beat Richmond. And then you've got to beat either Geelong uh, at Marvel, which is your better chance, or somehow fluke a win against Brisbane at the Gabba. I don't think we've beaten Brisbane at the Gabba in... 10 years. I'll just throw it out there. So I think we're done, but it's going to be an interesting last few weeks. And uh, I hope that for Carlton fans that their uh, team have learnt lessons from last season. And for non-Carlton fans, uh, let's hope they lose the last three games of the season and uh, not make finals. All right, that is the end of episode 27 of Aussie Talks. We did our final review on the summer of cricket uh, for England, I suppose. Uh, Australia taking home at the Ashes once again and uh, winning the World Test Championship. You'd probably take that um, if that was what was offered to you six and a half weeks ago. And we also had a look at what I think the AFL season will wrap up with. So it's going to be interesting three weeks in the AFL. A lot of teams can still make the eight. A lot of storylines still to develop, but it's going to be very interesting. But I just don't see anyone beating Collingwood when it gets down to it. But That is all for today. Thank you all for tuning in, and I'll see you all next time on Aussie Talks.